0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All of our picks and our dynasty rookie draft and our $750 Seven hundred and fifty dollar Rotoviz TriFlex SuperFlex Dynasty League. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find the Stealing Signals newsletter at bengrutch.substack.com with me as always. is Sean Siegel, and you can find all of his fantastic work over at Rotoviz. Sean, we are in the middle of round three of our rookie draft. We always have a lot of extra picks. We're always kind of planning it out that way. For people who've been listening over the last couple of years, we did the startup for this league in 2021. We kind of kicked the can down the road. And got a lot of uh picks for 2022 and for 2023 we're able in 2022 to move even more value into 2023 we came into this draft well actually slightly before this draft with the 104 the 107 and the 108 we moved back from the 104 to the 106 in order to acquire george pickens we also sent elijah moore and rashad penny in that deal so, I mean, we were cutting down players, and, but, you know, we did give up some some talent. We probably lose that deal most times, So we talked about this a little bit. We also had, uh, I believe, the 112, right? And it made a, um, a huge deal. No, oh sorry, that was the – we sent a bunch of picks starting at the 203, the 203, 204, 206, and 301, along with Kyler Murray for a host of players, Jameson Williams, James Cook, Kenny Pickett, Ramondre Stevenson, Mike Evans. So we had moved out of some picks in the month prior to the rookie draft, essentially, as we got through the cut down, several picks in the second round, three picks in the second round and the 301, moved back in the first, but still positioned ourselves where we had the 106, 107, 108, had a pick in the second, three picks in the third, two in the fourth, two in the fifth, two in the sixth, two in the seventh, because we tend to have a lot of these picks. And actually, we had another pick in the second that we traded out of that I'm forgetting. During this draft, we had two in the second, three in the first, even despite having traded all the other ones. Anyway, that's the backdrop. And so we came into this, particularly at six, wondering who we would get there. It was some discussion about what we would do with CJ Stroud fell there. We were kind of hoping that we would get maybe Jameer Gibbs or Jackson Smith and Jigpott based on kind of how our rosters built. Perfect world, pie in the sky before the draft. We were hoping, hey, maybe Will Levis goes top five and he goes, you know, ahead of us. And we get two of these dudes at 106 and 107. That's not the way it was going to break down. I have seen Kincaid go that high in some spots, but we didn't get that happen, happening either. But we figured probably 107-108 would be the Quinton Johnston and Jordan Addison picks. We're pretty content with that. 106 was the one we didn't really know what the room was going to give us. We wound up with Jackson Smith and but We ended up with three straight receivers in the first round. Gibbs went 105. The, the quarterbacks went 2-3-4. For anyone who's watching on YouTube, we actually have it pulled up. You can, or you, you can come find us on YouTube on the road of his YouTube channel. And, and take a look at the actual full board. We have it pulled up. But yeah, that's what we did in the first, Sean. And so our trade back sort of worked. We were, I mean, at four, we probably would have gone Gibbs, I think. Is that what you would, would be thinking? But either way, we were kind of hoping we'd get one of Gibbs or JSN. We moved back. We still wind up getting one of those two. Yeah, it would have been tough if
2: we're there at the 104 and it's Gibbs and it's Jackson Smith and Jigba because those are the two really exciting prospects in this draft outside of Bijan robinson and because of the way our roster is set we were really focusing on jsn and so we moved back originally before the draft and before we find out that more or less the entire nfl is as high on gibbs as we are he goes at 12 to the lions that really pushes him up We were kind of looking at him as the 106 that's where people were pre-draft they were hoping the jsn would go to at least a superficially more exciting situation than the seattle seahawks so those guys more or less switch spots because of what happened in the first round of the nfl draft now that probably fits where you and i are because we have saquon barkley ramondre stevenson Brees hall people are going to have, you know, slightly different grades on these players, but I do feel like that's three of the top seven or eight at the very least. I think you could argue three of the top five running backs in dynasty with Stevenson avoiding having a guy dropped on him in a similar fashion to how Ken Walker has to now deal with Zach Charbonnet. So with that running back firepower, we wanted to build out our depth at receiver. At receiver, we were in good shape after the pickens trade we have guys like garrett wilson we have both of the tampa bay receivers who i think will outperform expectations this year i mean obviously mike evans is at the end of his career but those guys will give you some immediate production and then i mean you've got to cover over now that suspension for Jamison williams but that position is one that we wanted to address and feel like we recovered the way we recovered at other spots For me, JSN is still pretty clearly the number three guy in this draft. Blair Andrews and I had a league where we had the 102 and the 103. We worked, you know, for basically all day on Saturday to try and move back a little bit because Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young tend to be the 102, the 103. I've argued on the show that I think that's sort of a misunderstanding of the value of the QB position and the options that you have. And it's also a tricky part with this season where the guy who's a great fantasy prospect has reality flaws, the guy who's a great reality prospect has fantasy flaws, I would prefer to take two epic players. Blair has a great article up on the site today talking about how Jameer Gibbs is the best value in basically every draft. Drafting over at Underdog, he's a great value. If you're looking at your dynasty leagues, either startup or rookie drafts, he's a great value. So I mean, in a perfect world, we would have been able to somehow get up to five and take Gibbs along with it but once we had the 107 and 108 and we were pretty confident that those picks would be Johnston and Addison we were trying to figure out how we could get a little bit more value out of moving from the 104 a probable QB selection to the 106 and that worked out and then as you mentioned we did have a plan for moving down if it had been CJ Stroud but Stroud is also an interesting player there in his own right and wouldn't have been a bad fit with our QB situation which is now Pickett Howell and Derek Carr.
1: Yeah, that was someone we were certainly discussing taking as well. If it came to that um, or potentially, as you noted, trying to move down, just sort of seeing where the offers would be. But yeah, I love those notes on Gibbs. I I was really excited to get him at four in another draft where I'm, I mean, I'm sort of on the borderline of contending and I'm pretty thin at running back. Like all my (laughs) teams tend to be. So to add somebody who has the potential to be a legit running back to a team that has some receiving talent, Has pretty good quarterbacks as well. I think it's pretty thin at tight end, but for a super flex league, has some good quarterback play. And yeah, I mean, it was a it was a good fit, and it was easy for me to take him over Stroud, even though I mean, I understand why people would take Stroud over him. But yeah, I mean, it's exciting to have him. As you noted, you know, when when it got to five, it was almost like, hey, maybe we could get Gibbs on a roster too. I do like him a touch more than JSN, but I still love getting JSN on this roster. There's been a lot of talk about how he's not is isn't a good landing spot for Seattle. It's going to be tough for him to get the market share he needs to get because of what Lockett and Metcalf command. We've talked on the show a little bit, the the number three weapons in Seattle almost never have strong target shares. There's not a lot else downstream that is going to be an issue for him. We're talking about like being concerned about, you know, essentially the tight ends, Noah Fant and Will Disley, but like they didn't do much at all last year when there wasn't a good third receiver. Now JSN steps in, he's got this great prospect profile. And he's a really good fit, presumably, for the offense, which is, you know, Shane Waldron, offensive coordinator, Rams background, likes to use. Last year, the talk with Lockett was, oh, they're going to use him in these, you know, sprint routes, you know, these flat routes, the the Cooper Cup routes, a lot of these short, easy completions, you know, slot plus role. Seems like JSN's sort of tailored for that role. So that, that could just be such an electric fit. And if anything were to happen to either Lockett or Metcalf, suddenly there's not enough targets. I mean, there's, there's too many targets to go around. He could he, he get as massive of a target share as you can imagine for a rookie. So it's not, I mean, I, I see it as a good fit personally. For years, we've also been worried about their pass rate, but with Geno Smith there, you have less, you know, quarterback scrambles. He's a little bit mobile, but it's not as much of the issue as, as Russ, I don't think. So anyway, great pick there. And you mentioned as we got on the clock with Johnson and Addison at 7 and 8, I mean, we're open to making a lot of moves. This is just a, a draft where we didn't we didn't make a lot of moves this year. And you, you mentioned not seeing a lot of trades in a lot of your rookie drafts. And we're going to talk about some other rookie drafts as well and things that we're seeing. I hypothesize this because there's not really a lot of players that people want to come up for. Or, I mean, I think in this range, in the top range, these top six and eight players are really good. And one of the things we talked about at 107, 108 was the drop-off from these guys. I mean, maybe Kincaid, the drop-off isn't huge. But when you get from this point to like, in a 111, a few players back, the drop-off is pretty massive. And so to to even move back two or three picks, you would need a pretty substantial offer to to actually want to facil- facilitate that trade. And based on sort of what people expect the, the going rate to be to move up a couple of picks in the first round of a rookie draft, I mean, I was kind of spitballing to you. I just didn't think we would get, even if we got some offers to come up, we wouldn't get anything close to – hitting on the value drop-off from that end of that tier, that Quinton Johnson, Jordan Addison down to, you know, the bottom of the first round. We see Rasheed Rice in this draft goes at 111. some drafts, Rice goes, you know, well into the second round. Still still a nice pick and an interesting pick, but definitely a drop-off from the Johnson-Addison tier and a pretty substantial one to where you're just not likely to get a big enough... Asking price there, Sean. I was looking at your dynasty ranks and you have them slotted in with all of the players. I think you have Johnson and Addison, not just a tier higher than everyone else behind them in this rookie draft, but two tiers higher. And I think that's a really good way of sort of framing. It. And that's again with, within the context of all the veterans and everything. Your top eight rookies slide into you know whichever tiers it were, maybe it through your tier four or tier five. And then the next tier doesn't have any rookies. And then there's the rest of the, this class starts to come in two tiers lower. At any rate, we never got the the offers to move back. We didn't move back. We take three straight receivers there. And then we didn't have another pick until the 208. And we had to kind of sit.
2: And that part is is always tough. We made the trade that I thought we had to make. We got all those players that you mentioned. We move off of Kyler Murray, which probably weakens our QB situation in the long run. But this is a team that is built to win a title this year. And we didn't want to be holding Kyler through the first half to lose the value that that could be turned into. But then you also lose, as you mentioned, the 203, the 205, the 211. And as those picks are there, it's tough. Because like we we had those, we could be making fun selections. The other thing here is we have so many picks that we're going to have to cut a lot of guys as we move through the off season. That's another reason that you would try and consolidate a little bit and get that starting lineup firepower. But then you had mentioned Kincaid and you had mentioned the tier break. It's interesting because Kincaid is just really hot right now. And it will be interesting to see if he remains as trendy all summer and into like the big redraft and best ball season this fall. Because right now, I mean it's it's hard to imagine a a guy with more just supercharged enthusiasm there. He'll sometimes go in the middle of round one, as you mentioned. We have Laporta and Mayer pretty close. And as I went across sort of the seven leagues that I'm in, six in this format and one in the regular FFPC Superflex format, my exposure to Laporta and Mayer is incredibly high because the pricing of those two players relative to Kincaid, seems to understate what they can do for you scoring-wise, how important they are in tight end premium, how they fit relative to the other prospects in this particular draft. And so that's where I think the value is. Obviously, you can be wrong on that, but when you look at the profiles, you look at the production, you look at the age, and you look at the things the Laporta and Mayor bring in, how early they were drafted, I mean, they seem like the smash hits here. So we wanted to have... receivers. We were hoping to make some selections in that Laporta and Mayer range, but they go at the 202 and the 205 in hours. They can go as high as the 111, the 112. Also had some drafts that Mayer specifically felt like the 210. That's slam dunk range for him at that point. But we have to sit and wait. We're not able to make trades to get into these spots. There are interesting guys that go. Obviously, we like Marvin Mims, but it's going to be hard to get up all the way to the 203 to take him. A-Chain is somebody who is trendy but doesn't fit the things that you had been discussing for us and doesn't really fit where we are. Running back, he goes at 206. We get to the 208, and that's the spot where you're starting to see players like Roshan Johnson, Tyree Spears. When we had that pick, Ben, we didn't have a guy that we wanted. We're trying to make sure that we maintain as much future value as possible. So right now when you're looking at our roster and our picks, We also have two twos and three threes for next year, and that's in part because we traded out of the 208.
1: Yeah. So at the 208, we came, well, we we were sort of just starting to discuss what we might want to do, and we got an offer to move into a 2024 two and a 2024 three. It seemed sort of, I mean, not necessarily a no brainer, but it seems sort of easy with the respect that our you know, th- th- this is the type of deal that we have offered ourselves the flexibility to accept, and we we always talk about this. We've talked about this with our past drafts. When you start to st- stockpile the rookie picks, we also had the two ten right behind it. We didn't love anyone at the two hundred eight, and so now we can move from a second round that's probably not as strong as most year second rounds to a random second round next year that we have some hope could be higher than the two hundred eight, but maybe it's you know even lower, but not- it can't be a ton lower. More likely to be higher, obviously, when you think about the 208 where it's landing. And we add a third on on top of it, which is not nothing. And so the the value for next year in most scenarios is going to wind up being better than the value was the 208 here. In addition to the fact that we had these extra picks, we can't roster all of these players, we don't need to make all of these picks, and we didn't have somebody screaming at us as the clear pick that we wanted to make here. So we moved out of the 208. We had been hoping, as you are kind of detailing, that someone might fall, and you had kind of laid out as we were just in the late first who we expected to kind of go in the next section of picks. And you mentioned Mayer fell a little bit. He ends up going 205. That was one where we did try to trade into the 205 once we saw Mayor start to fall a little bit, but we got a you know a polite decline that said, hey, the value here on Mayor is too good. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take him, and fair enough. Right, But we, we were trying to get in there to make that pick from the 208. And yeah, and you mentioned all the other names that went, right? R- Rashid Rice went 111. Charbonnet went 112. Kincaid had went 109, and Levis had gone 110. You have Rice, Charbonnet. Zay Flowers goes 201, a little late for him. Lapora, 202. Mims, Kendra Miller, Michael Mayer, A-Chain, Mingo. And then we were up there with Roshan Johnson and Spears kind of looking like the names. We move out of the 208. Roshan does go there. And then Hendon Hooker goes 209. So then we're back on the clock at 210 and fielding offers again to potentially move out Sean and and probably would have preferred to, but ultimately didn't really get anything, uh, any bites that made a whole lot of sense. And so we just took Tajay Spears. We did. And he's someone who
2: has lost some luster with all of the reporting about the injuries, but especially over the first two or three seasons he looks like he could be a fantastic back and does still have plenty of supporters he went 203 in one of my drafts he went 205 five in one of my drafts when you get him into the 210 212 301 range you're getting a lot of potential value now you say well if you're hoping to trade back out of him the fact that he fell in your specific draft gives you a little bit better feel for maybe your league mates view him at the same time I mean, we couldn't get up to make picks for guys that we wanted earlier. That same thing is going to potentially be the case for other league mates who wanted Spears. And so you have that as a draft asset. And when we're looking at Spears and you look at how that Tennessee team is going to evolve over the next couple of seasons, the fact that he is one of these electric backs who can bring the receiving element to the table and is going to allow them to move more in this direction of a flexible offense which seemed to be the case or seemed to be the direction when they fired their gm last year they've been trying to make some different moves they're probably going to make the jump to levis even though you know i wouldn't necessarily expect that to be good for the offense but when you watch spears and you think about what he did to usc in the bowl game i mean this is a guy who went earlier than a chain in the reality draft potentially can be a guy who has more fantasy value over the next three years or so and especially when you're thinking about the longevity for just all of these backs that kind of window is going to easily pay back this selection again if it works out so we're excited about that we haven't been able to flip him which was one of the possibilities we haven't really made a huge push to that point yet because we're looking to see kind of how round three was going to play out and then immediately after spears chase brown lent that's a tough one in our previous show we talked a lot about how we think he could be the starter for the Bengals. now the thing about it is that they waited a long time in the reality draft to take him
1: you have to keep that in mind as well but he goes 211 jade Narita- he's one that sorry to cut in, but he's one that we talked about when we were on the clock of the two ten, not taking necessarily there but hoping to try to find a way to get maybe in the third round I'm found my. i I'm high on Chase Brown, and I would say that I'm low on Tajay Spears. He's one of the smaller backs. I think throughout the offseason I've been pretty clear in, in discussing them as – not that I'm completely out on the smaller backs, but just not in love with sort of the long-term – they're not – you want your smaller backs to have elite profiles. I love Jameer Gibbs. He's got this elite profile. The other ones in this class are kind of getting pushed up because there aren't a lot of exciting names, but their profiles aren't flawless. So I'm a little bit concerned. But Spears – essentially what I'm trying to say is I I'm not th- I wasn't thrilled about taking Spears there and Brown goes one pick later as we sort of talked about that after the fact I was kind of like you know what somebody paid a good price to get a guy that I liked. I'm not gonna necessarily feel bad. And if I sit there and think about it, I don't, you know, we were hoping to maybe get Brown later, but I don't wish we would have taken Brown at 210, is the way that I would put it. I still think Spears is the right call. You mentioned he goes a, a couple picks before eight chain, he was the fifth running back taken. I mean, Bijan and Gibbs go in the first round, Charbonnet is the only second round pick. The only other back that went ahead of him was Kendrick Miller to the Saints, 10 picks before Spears. But Spears went ahead of A, Cheney went ahead of Tank Bigsby. He's one of only six backs that go by the end of day two. Uh, seven backs, excuse me. But um, you're comparing that to, as you noted, Chase Brown going well into the fifth round. I mean, you're that, that's a significant difference in draft capital and what their career arcs could be. I like Brown better. If Brown would have landed in the third round as well, I would be want to take Brown over Spears. But that draft capital gap is significant. (laughs) It is. And we just have
2: to hope that the landing spot (laughs) doesn't completely invalidate it because ah, there's so much to like about Chase Brown. It was weird to me that Brown was not being mentioned earlier and didn't get selected earlier in the reality draft because there are so many things about his profile in terms of being, you know, 210 instead of 200, being a guy who has plus athletic ability. But he does go at 211, Jaden Reen at 212, Tank Bigsby at 301. He's somebody who has been a little bit of a faller because he gets put in behind Travis Etienne. Now, on the etn teams, I do like taking him there in Dynasty. I mean, handcuffing is actually a little bit more palatable in Dynasty than any other format because if you've opened this permanent championship window, you don't want to lose a year because Travis Etienne or later for us, Brees Hall is out, you know, like. Obviously, they have been in each of the last two years. So, big be an interesting pick there. Josh Downs goes at the 302. Zach Evans 303. Hyatt 304. And he's someone who has an ADP around 210, and I really like. So that one again, when he starts to get close to your spot, that's a little bit frustrating. But
1: we talked about him at 210. I mean, we yeah, we he was the other. I mean, if we didn't go Spears, probably Hyatt would have been the pick.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Exactly.
2: And if not for trying to kind of balance out the positions. So when we worked through these drafts as well, our approach and our goal was to use that three pick stretch in round one at receiver, try and do something. In round two at tight end, that didn't work because of where we were positioned. And then when you come back late two, and then in round three, you're trying to build that running back depth. So it was frustrating that Bigsby, Evans, Brown go either at or slightly above ADP. The other thing that happened here in this particular draft, Ben, and we've kind of discussed this throughout, so it's worth mentioning, is that even though there are a lot of exciting veterans who are going to fill out rounds. You know the end of round three then four five six and you know we're hoping to participate in that there weren't multiple guys big enough names that went say late two early three which has been the case in most of my triflex leagues that would push down a chase brown they would push an evans a couple spots that would get them right into that edge of where we were because we haven't had that we ended up being just below probably a tier break
1: which is always unfortunate it was, but you had a bright idea to try to combat that. And after Hyatt went at 3.04, we were sitting on the clock at 3.07, 3.08, and 3.10. So that's where three oh 3.10. That's where we <clears throat> came back in, and we always have <clears throat> a plethora of picks, and it ended up being 3 in 4, 3.07, 8, and 10. We were kind of trying to map out who would go with Evans, Bigsby, Brown off, as you mentioned the, the last running back probably a part of that tier is a Banna even though his landing spot was tough, his his draft capital stuff. I mean, we were talking about it before the show, probably the worst spot in the league he could have landed. I mean, he, he's behind Brees Hall, and there are other potentially decent backs in that backfield. Michael Carter, not a great year last year, but a pretty good rookie year the year prior. And also Zonovan Knight as a UDFA has a solid year last year. He's a 21-year-old last year. He's got a long career ahead of him if he can stick around on NFL rosters. Just still, in, like, frustrated that the Jets even took another back. Like, I would have liked to see Zodiman Knight get a chance to be a number three back. Now he's probably a number four. Michael Carter, you know, had a tough year last year, but still could have been a fine number two. Now he's probably a number three, or he's, you know, battling with a band of for that role. But all of that means that a band of now is slipping to the middle of the third. In my pre-draft rookie draft that was a, a one QB, but a tight end premium league, I took him at 206. And that was after multiple quarterbacks had gone the landing spot wasn't great. The draft capital wasn't great. He falls all the way to the fifth round, but to get now a full extra round of, you know, where we're taking him a a much later, he's a 21 year old rookie himself. Sean, you were really high on him prior uh, to the draft. And and I think still are are pretty high. And then we talked about on the last show. And I think you mentioned, he's a guy that you want to have a lot of, even in redraft. So, He's the one we were hoping would maybe fall two more picks. Cedric Tillman goes. We send out a trade offer to jump up from 308 to 306, and that gets accepted uh, to facilitate that. We moved back like a round and a half in rounds five and six later in this draft. We didn't actually even give up a pick. We just moved back. And, yeah, I mean, it was was a pretty significant number of slots to move back, but when you get down to five, six, seven, you're mostly just talking about taking – Flyers on on players that you like, and a lot of times it's one big tier in that range. So, didn't feel like that was a, a big price to pay at all. Which I'm sort of I, you you sent up this offer and got this deal done with. You know, we were, we were kind of talking about it, but I'm sort of just letting you know. I I I loved the deal. I thought it was great. So we got up, Sean, after Tillman went at 3:05 to get a band of Canada at 3:06. We're now on the clock at 3:07, and the band of Canada really was sort of the end of the tier. And now you know we have a decision to make here at 307, I think, but I'm happy to get that back. And you mentioned, and I completely agree. I think it's well put that dynasty is really a format where handcuffing makes sense. I mean, probably the only
2: format. And we were fortunate because we were able to get from the 308 to the 306 and maintain the 307. And to do that little jump, I thought was helpful because the other guy here that we could have risked it with luke musgrave is going at the 304 and if the manager who's there at 306 takes him then we get a ban and we also get the next pick without having to pay that cost as you mentioned in rounds five and six and yet by moving up we stay with this pick to where now there's potential trade value with musgrave and there's a potential kind of dual value of it for our roster where the position that we have the fewest players, I wouldn't consider it a weakness because we have Pat Fryermuth and we have Mike Gasicki, a guy that we like as he moves over there now to New England. We just have the two tight ends. It is tight end premium. If you have some injuries, then quickly you can get into a little bit of, of difficulty. The element in this draft that we're disappointed about was not being able to get either Laporta or Mayer through trade. Now we have a shot here where we can either take Musgrave, we can See what happens throughout the summer, what the reports are. Obviously, the reports right now are very enthusiastic. Everything is very puff-piecey. We know that Musgrave has this elite athleticism, and those kinds of things are going to look really good in shorts. The question is, will he have the type of season that makes him look like he was justified where the Packers selected him in the reality draft. You hear reports that there were other teams also you know, trying to get him there. Obviously, Ben, when we did our live show, we were kind of blown away by the number of tight ends that went on day two and how early they went. Musgrave someone who doesn't really have the production profile, I don't think, to justify even a pick here in the middle of the third. And yet, after the Packers went out and made this statement about him, and when you do have that athleticism, which the tight end position is just so key, The opportunity to either trade the pick now or to take Musgrave, have a little more tight end depth, trade the player later. He's someone who could become very, very trendy. When you're looking in the middle of round three, especially, and then as we go forward, one of the things that we'll be keeping in mind is what player profiles and what names do we think could catch fire? Because there are some guys who would fit nicely at the end of your roster. But when you're trying to get to 20 players, you might have to cut anyway. And those guys, even though they probably have more value for 2023, there's not a realistic scenario where they could actually jump multiple rounds in terms of trade value.
1: Yeah. So in terms of our, our goals, as we enter this draft, we always have a lot of receiver depth on our teams. We, this off season have moved into some running backs. You mentioned we have saquon ramondre and Brees hall now we traded for Brees hall we traded away drake london as the key piece of that deal um as we we're kind of getting down to fewer players we, we also dealt wandel robinson and greg Dulcich as part of that deal so gave up a decent amount get hall in a pick swap that went in, in the other person's favor we've been moving multiple pieces to get into running backs i mentioned we got Ramondre Stevenson is part of that that Kyler Murray deal that that sent the four picks, and he was really kind of the key of that deal, but we, we got a lot of other, you know, interesting pieces. We still wanted to get some running back depth onto this roster. You know, we still might be interested in moving out of some of the running backs that we have, depending on, you know, the way things progress. But because we had moved some of our our receiver depth, we still had plenty of receiver depth. I mean, this roster has Mike Evans still from that trade, but Garrett Wilson, Chris Godwin, George Pickens, Jamison Williams, uh, Rondell Moore, Sky Moore. And then we took JSN, Quentin Johnson, and and Jordan Addison to get us to, it looks like, 10 total wide receivers and all pretty solid ones. I mean, some people might not still be in love with Rondell. They're always questionable now. Right. We did. We did finally move a couple of the moors. We had all four moors at one point, but Elijah Moore and DJ Moore have both been traded this offseason. We're left. We're left with just Rondell Moore and Sky Moore at this point. The really good ones. Yeah. <laughs> we were down. Also, with some of the moves we made, we're down to just two tight ends, and we at one point had like four or five really good ones. But we moved Dulcich. Uh, we moved a Quibanam. We moved a couple. He's one we just added off waivers at the end of last year, but we moved other tight ends. I don't remember who, but we have Gasicki and Pat Fryermuth right now. So we want to add some tight end depth, but the goals were coming in. Look, we want to get back to some receiver depth. And we felt like we were positioned in the rookie draft to do that. And we did that Uh, as part of why we were willing to move some receivers pre rookie draft into some running back value. Now we have some horses at running back and Barkley and Ramondre and Brees, but we still have really good receiver depth. But I guess probably for me, Sean, the concern—I mean, one concern is quarterback. We have Derek Carr, Kenny Pickett, and Sam Howell. I mean, we're putting a lot of faith on Sam Howell in particular. But you know, your guy Derek Carr is going to lead us to the promised land. Kenny Pickett—we've we've been talking about liking, you know, as a, at least a viable play in you know in superflex. Not somebody. I mean, he's got good weapons. He was better than his numbers indicated last year. We'll see, right? Like, there's some there's some risk associated with that as well. But a player that is worth having. And and we believe pretty strongly in Sam Howell. So those quarterbacks are not anything anybody's going to write home about, but it could be fine. And if it, you know, if our running backs and our receivers are as strong as they read on paper and our tight end right now, it kind of just has to be Pat Fryer with crushing. But if we can get a little bit of depth at that position, if we can get tight end points as well, I mean, this is a team that can win, but the big question for us entering this uh, rookie draft was, getting some of that depth back. When we had to cut down our roster, we had to cut down some of that depth. And I, I think we've done a good job of that already. I mean, we now ha- are back to six running backs. We were down to four at the start of the draft, the big three ones in James Cook. We also have added Spears and Abanicanda. We've gotten back to 10 receivers. I think the big thing at this point, as you were alluding to, is that we, we still need to address tight end. But it's not a great spot... In these rookie drafts, right? I mean, Musgrave is somebody I've been asking you about quite a bit, and you've been making a good point to me that like didn't really do a whole lot ever production-wise in college. One of the reasons it's weird to see Mayer keep falling is you mentioned to me before the show he's was so he is young and he was so young at two eight hundred yard seasons uh, in three years of college football, and he goes pro. Like Kincaid is going a lot higher. You mentioned to me he's a he's a JUCO guy. He was finally good last year, basically in his fifth year out of high school. As opposed to Mayor, who was good in his second year out of high school and then his third year as well, doesn't. I mean, Kincaid gets the, the draft capital edge and, and lands in a Buffalo offense It's fantastic. So it doesn't mean like you know you should take Mayor over Kincaid necessarily. But the profiles, you know, from a prospect per, profile from a production you know pro, uh, perspective, actually lean Mayor's way. We're now in this Musgrave range, and his profile is not exciting from a production standpoint, and there's nothing there. He had two career touchdowns. I think his career high and yardage was like 200 yards, 250 maybe. I mean, nothing. Uh, while at Oregon State, he's got an athletic profile. that's exciting. But uh, how well that will translate to catches and yards and touchdowns, I mean, typically you want to see it at the college level to, to be able to trust that this guy's got the ability to rack up a lot of catches for a tight end to be good in fantasy, they got to catch a lot of balls. You know, they can't just be a sporadic receiver of the football. Which we there's a lot of tight ends like that, and to just throw in more guys like that on your roster in a, in a league like this where you can only carry twenty, it's tough. And, and then the the other thing I don't I don't know if you mentioned it while we were um, while you are running through our options here, but it is really interesting to see in this particular class uh, uh, draft that we have. A lot of potential veteran tight ends on the board that we may take or or be you know in position to take in later rounds. And it includes Hunter Henry is available in this, uh Hayden Hurst, Gerald Everett, Juwan Johnson, Jake Ferguson, some people like as but you know, potential answer in, in Dallas for Dalton Schultz exiting. There's like a number of potential starting tight ends available. So it's something that we need to address still, but we do have a lot of picks going forward. And it's something that I think, you know, You know, right now we're, at, we're on the clock at 3.07. We have the 3.10. We have the 4.01. We also have the 4.09. Four picks in the next, you know, round and a few picks, 15 picks or so. Three picks in the next seven picks or so. There are a lot of ways to go here. There are some other veterans that you were talking to me about that feel a little bit like luxuries, but could be really fun additions as well. And Everett, one of those guys who was actually a cut of hours, we could draft him back.
2: Sometimes you'll see people asking or you'll be, see them making trades where they clearly don't value any of the later picks, but I mean, someone like an Everett probably gives you that value again, whether or not you can keep him into the first week of the season, a little bit different question. When we were doing our live show, Ben, I joked with you that when the Packers also drafted Tucker Kraft, that he was actually going to be the tight end one for them. I'm doing a, a draft right now with our buddy Patrick Corrine as well. And looking through his rankings as we plot our strategy, he actually has both Musgrave and Kraft side-by-side you know, side in his ranks at about the 2-3 you know, turn, And so still somewhat aggressive ranks on both of them. I mentioned earlier that Musgrave is going at the 304, Kraft going at the 402. And again, that's with all of the veterans pulled out. So probably in most drafts, you're going to see him closer to the 405, 406, So middle of the fourth, you have that other potential shot at a Green Bay tight end. I mean, he could end up being the receiving guy there, even though I don't think that that's the way the Packers have necessarily designed it, but they're trying to also give themselves that optionality.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they take both of them on day two. Kraft goes in the third round. Musgrave goes in the second. Not like a significant. Yeah, they took Musgrave first, but not a significant gap in draft capital. It's not like Kraft was a day three pick well into the like, you know, the fifth round or something like that. He's out of South Dakota State, pretty good athlete himself, right? And I think had, I mean, smaller school, but caught a lot more passes than Musgrave did. In terms of, you know, him potentially being the one that they actually lean on for more receiving. It doesn't seem far-fetched. So then as we kind of wrap up Our look at
2: the draft that we're in, some of the things that are still considerations going forward. Sam Darnold is a player who is in the pool here. Again, a a tricky player, I think, just like Hendon Hooker to actually carry into the season. But he's someone who could potentially have value in Superflex, at least to start 2023. So, any other thoughts? They are kind of big picture, and then moving us back to a more global look at these drafts. Maybe especially interesting things you're seeing there in round two, across all the drafts that you're in.
1: Yeah, I mean they've been interesting for sure. I the the biggest thing I would say that I'm seeing in round twos is a lot of variability in who players, uh, who people like, are you know falling into certain tiers and things. But I've heard people referred to as like. Sort of like the obvious pick in a certain spot, and I didn't think they were the obvious pick necessarily in that spot. And I just, I mean, I think there's been some pretty wide gaps between different leagues and who goes where. I, I've been interested to see Will Levis land in the back of the first in it, almost every draft and not really fall past like 10. I just probably wouldn't be that high on him. I understand that, you know, the Titans did go up and get him to start day two. You know, we were talking a little bit before we got on the air and. One of the things that has me a little disappointed about this whole class was just, and this is sort of anecdotal, but in the last few years, after a, you know, a, a gap in the draft, an overnight gap, we've seen teams come out and take skill position guys early in the second. And then also we've seen some early in the fourth that have worked out favorably. Uh, we were talking a, a few minutes Ago before the the recording about Michael Carter and and some of the the jet stuff and banacanda and I had forgotten that Michael Carter was a fourth rounder, and you pointed out to me. Well, he was like one of those very first picks of the fourth round. So I went and pulled that up. Right behind him, Amon Ross St. Brown was one of the first picks of the fourth round in that in that draft. And right behind him, Ramondre Stevenson was one of the first picks in the fourth round of that draft. Last year, we had uh Damian Pierce is one of the first picks in the fourth round. So you see these guys, the teams. Over had time overnight to reset their boards, went and prioritize going and getting, and they ended up being pretty good. Similar deal, I think, has been a longer term thing in the second round. We saw you know Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift in the same draft, T. Higgins, uh, AJ Brown. I mean, guys that are going in, you know, the first half of the second round have been Brees Hall last year, have been good hits at running back and receiver. And this draft, teams just didn't care about the running backs and receivers in the first half of the second round or in the first half of the fourth round. And then the first half of the second round, we got some tight ends, which was interesting. We got Jonathan Mingo landing there. We didn't get any running back until well into the second round. Only one in the whole second round was Charbonnet. And then you go into the fourth round after even, you know, kind of a quiet day two in terms of really allocating a ton of draft capital at those positions. And it opened up with, you know, a bunch of line picks. And then a kicker goes off the board. And then finally, Roshan Johnson goes, like, double-digit picks into the fourth, and he's the, the, you know, the only one that goes before, you know, you get halfway through the fourth, you get into the back half of the fourth round, and then another, you know, Darius Davis goes to the Chargers as a wide receiver. My point being, there weren't any clear targets in the top of the fourth round that matched some of the ones that have looked like hits in the past. Again, that was pretty anecdotal, but I like to see when, you know, you have an overnight and you see some guys slip that teams then come out and make a point to go get them. In this draft, teams made a point to come out and go get the DBs and the line linemen. And and they were like, this is the, these are the positions where there's depth in this class and these guys have slipped. And, you know, in in day two and the start of round two, they did it at tight end and that was exciting to see. But other than tight end, really, I mean, we just did not get that type of indication from a lot of places. Anyway, I got onto that tangent talking about Levis because I do think the fact that the Titans were willing to come up and get him with the second pick in round two, probably a positive sign. I'm still a little bit, curious about him going, you know, I I saw him go ahead of Jordan Addison in the league. I I think that's probably a mistake, but you know, if he hits quarterback value is incredibly high in super flex, obviously. So definitely an interesting one. I'm seeing the tight ends go very high. People in rookie drafts don't want to get in on these running backs and these wide receivers. You know, once you get past Johnston, I've seen in, in a couple different drafts now, Basically, Levis go, the tight ends go. I've seen Hennon Hooker go before even like, you know, the next the, the RB three uh in one of these drafts I'm looking at right now, where A-Chain ended up being the RB three behind H- Hennon Hooker, and no other wide receiver after Addison Flowers and Quinton Johnson. Flowers had gone, but no other wide receiver after that first group of of four wide receivers, the first rounders in the reality draft. No other wide receiver had gone before Hooker ends up going in this draft. I mean, you're, you're seeing people prioritize the tight ends in, in some cases. We've also seen them fall. We talked about how Mayers fall, the quarterbacks, but also just not really be that interested in the running backs and receivers and not really even being clear who to go next. In our draft here, Sean, Rasheed Rice ended up being that next receiver. He goes ahead as A Flowers. He goes 111. Charbonnet goes 112 as the RB3. A chain doesn't go until 206 as the RB five. The other one I'm looking at here, Rasheed Rice, is still on the board at 207. Um, no other receiver has gone after you know the the, the first rounders as I mentioned. Charbonnet went behind A chain and Kendra Miller in that one. It's I mean I, I think that that next tier is like sort of a pick your poison, but people have a lot of different thoughts on it. Who winds up at the 206 and 208 is going to be different in every draft. It feels like. And it's made it
2: difficult to trade in the 2023 event because when you have a pick there at the 201 through the 204 most of the members of your league are willing to take the followers and even wait into that 205 to 207 range i do think that in most drafts there's a little bit of a tear break there but even then that isn't completely the case we mentioned that Rice went at the 111 in hours. I think that that is justified. And yet I just made a trade into the 210 to pick him up in another one. In the draft that Colum and I are in, he went at the 302. And so I mean, that's a huge potential range there. I think that Rice is an interesting pick because if Sky Moore hadn't been a second round pick last year who looked so bad for them and kind of created this expectation that you're going to get that same thing, I think that Rice would be a lot more expensive. And so as you're trying to think about prices, knowing that you need to be humble and you could be wrong about so many of these different players, trying to pick up on a pattern where a particular player is less expensive than he probably should be for a reason that isn't directly related to him, I think that that's something that you can potentially exploit. And so I like Rice when he's falling into the middle of that second round. The Charbonnet price to me is interesting. He is going ahead of A-Chain in almost everything that I am seeing. When you consider that he's buried behind a young star, and not buried, but he's in a depth chart with a young star, and the Dolphins pretty clearly have drafted A-Chain to be the guy for them, I mean, A-Chain should be going first. I, I, I don't think there's any way around that, at least for me. It's interesting when Miller goes ahead of him. I think that Miller is an interesting back. I know some people are still concerned about Kamara and Jamal Williams. I think that they've sent the message that they think Miller is the new guy there. He's an interesting pick, not somebody I've gotten a lot because then for me again, you go back to those tight ends and it's the similar type of situation to what I talked about with rice, but different from the perspective of, I think the prices for these three tight ends should be identical. And so when you're looking at the three of them, you have Kincaid expensive, as we talked about earlier, but you look at Laporta and you look at Mayer. With Laporta, the thing holding him into his range is just the pre-draft anchoring. So there was going to be a limit to just how high he could rise because of where he was previously ranked. And that limit puts him in a range where I think for drafters today, he's a great pick. And then Mayer, simply because he goes one spot after Laporta, and so people are ranking him, and this is the way the NFL had them, he's the third tight end, he's going to fall, he's not as athletic, that gives you a great opportunity to get him some tremendous discounts so for me and again it's this idea that probably we can take running backs in round three and they're going to be not equally exciting but they're going to allow you to round out your depth for me trying to get in there for mims and rice has been the play and mims is maybe the one guy that we haven't talked about he's the player that all of the analysts that i talked to love he's been my favorite player i made the case pre-draft that he could be the and sort of early in the draft process that he could be the number three overall wide receiver at that point i was thinking of it as jsn addison and then mims now i'm very high on quentin johnson actually moved him ahead of stroud i think that his profile is actually being sold a little bit when it should be (laughs) people should be really going after it but then you have obviously justin herbert so that moves him up but addison we like as the number two with the vikings even with that being the case i think that you can argue for mims in the range with those two guys it's too bad that he's not actually a little bit cheaper if he were going more at the 207 then you would get almost 100 percent exposure when you're in that kind of crowded broncos receiving room and you have russell wilson as the qb i mean those are things holding you back but yet I mean, Mims should very clearly have been the guy ahead of Mingo and ahead of Rice when you're looking at how teams were trying to attack that position in the second round of the reality draft.
1: And we want to be betting on talent over and sort of fading landing spot and, and to a certain extent fading draft capital. Obviously, <clears throat> you know, when we talk about the prospect profiles and why they tend to hit, one of the big things I remember going back to, to the fantasy douche days and Sean, your early work, was always an emphasis on the things that we're looking at are, are proven to, to um, sort of outproduce expectation at the given draft capital, right? Like it's not to say that a player with a really good analytical profile in the fourth round, is going to beat one with a bad analytical profile in the first round because that draft capital matters a ton. It just means that it's a good bet for a fourth round receiver, which already is a, a tough bet to make. And, on the flip side, you know, a first rounder with a sort of a questionable analytical profile might be a good one to consider fading at, you know, specific costs. But we saw last year Jahan Dotson get, you know, just go really, really cheap for a first round receiver, especially in redraft. But yeah, I I think you put that really well with Mims and, and would have been ideal if he went higher. The fact that he lands in Denver isn't necessarily great. So it's, I mean he is sort of a buzzy name that that gets less buzzy because of those things. And you, you know, you understand sort of his first half of the second round price and where that winds up. Yeah. I mean, it really is a draft this year, a rookie draft. And for people who are in the rookie drafts or whose rookie drafts haven't even started yet, where I think you're trying to find ADP value to a certain degree, there's going to be players that people are going to reach on or fall in love with and take a few spots ahead of ADP. Sean, you mentioned how it is affecting our ability to trade in these drafts because nobody really wants to pay a big price to come up and get somebody because it, it all feels like one big tier. And the, the beginning of the draft to, to some respect feels like a, a pretty deep tier and it's okay. You know, people don't really necessarily want to move around a bunch uh, within the early picks. They don't want to move out of those early picks. They don't want to move around within those early picks. Yeah. I'll just let someone fall to me. I mean, we did that. We moved back from 104 to 106 and we were kind of content to let JSN fall to us. And then after you get out of those top names, you're in you know just a massive tier of, of pretty flat profiles. Uh, it might be the case that this is you know I I was saying to you before we came on, feels like people have learned the lesson that moving up is not great in dynasty. It tends to not work to give up a ton of assets to move up. Might be the case that this is a type of year where, you know, throwing out small offers to try to move up and see if people are willing to to make moves back in instances where it seems flat you can at least get your preference i mean we talked about this with the uh, ban can move up we moved up two spots we did a pick swap in the later rounds and we're able to get a guy that's sort of the last of our tier the person moving back in that scenario maybe didn't feel that the, you know felt that the teardrop had already hit and so for them they're like yeah i mean i'll move back two picks for anything basically because it's so flat so it's worth throwing out deals like that, even as soon as the late first and early second, if it means moving up a couple of picks. If there's somebody that you really like, if it doesn't cost you a ton, typically I would say you know almost never move back and just try to wait for stuff to come to you. And tip and, and, and realistically, that's probably the, the right move in this type of year. It's like you're you're gonna see fallers. Like you probably want to wait. You probably want to be moving back and seeing if you can get big fallers. But if you're in a, a draft with a lot of sharp people that have the same approach, then you know potentially. Moving up might be a way to, to, if you can do it cheaply, might be a way to combat that. But I don't know. I, I'm always skewed, Sean, because of the majority of my dynasty leagues are the industry analyst leagues. And we talk about that some. I, I really like doing this FFPC league with you where we get a little bit more variety. The industry leagues, it feels like everybody wants to do the same thing. And so that's where I'm sitting here going, well, maybe, you know, it makes some sense to move up a couple spots because everybody wants to move back. That's probably not the case in every home league. So, that advice uh, maybe not applicable across the board. But if you do find yourself in those spots, I mean, I think it's a consideration. And you
2: want to continue to adjust your thinking and to react to the new landscape. One of the reasons that I started moving back so aggressively when early in my dynasty career, really like to move the future picks into the present, move veterans for rookies. And so you move all of the power of your team into the now, but you stay young. Well, so many of these startups I was seeing massive ransoms paid for, you know, picks in the second round, people are moving down from the 111 to the 205 and getting a future first round pick. And you're thinking, okay, well, you, you got to go ahead and build, do the perpetual reloading, get all of this value. Then you and I have had great success in this particular draft and have just so many picks. And once you have so many picks... There are so many things you can do. I think that's the way to play it. But if you do find yourself in a situation where the opposite thing is happening, be okay with flipping back in the other direction. One of the leagues that I was in in this format had an offer yesterday of the 203, the 205, and a future two for my future one. And so... You're getting to select Marvin Mims, Michael Mayer. And you have a pick in the second round of next year's draft. And you look at Mims and you look at Mayer. And both of those guys, if they had been drafted just a few picks differently, could have been, perhaps should have been, first round picks in this particular class. You get multiple shots on them. I had already selected Laporta. Later I traded in and selected Rice. Rice. I'm going to still have that second round pick in next year's draft. If with three second round picks, two of which were in the first half of this year's draft, do not outproduce or allow me to do things with my roster that Trump, a single first round pick in next year's draft, which I mean, you're kind of betting that that pick is maybe in the top five or six picks. If I can't execute well enough with my roster to make that trade payoff for me, then I deserve to lose the trade right? You're getting three different shots at it and you're getting picks in the now. I would be flexible to make those kinds of moves, even if you're giving back something substantial. And when you're the player trying to to select or to make that move to get a first round pick, one of the things you're doing with stockpiling the picks is just taking the shot that one of these picks is going to move up and be the 102 or the 103. So if you trade for four or five first round picks, I mean, you're taking the risk that a couple of those will be 110, 111, 112, which really, I mean, that's more or less the equivalent of those second round picks. this could be a three for one, where I'm trading the 111 for three second round picks that are (laughs) worth virtually the same thing. But from the other manager's perspective, you have to take a little bit of that risk to occasionally get maybe the 101, the 102, in which case you win the trade in a big way. And then on that note, we'll go ahead and finish up our rookie draft special episode of Stealing Bananas. Then we're going to be getting into the true offseason here. You're going to have projections. We're going to have a lot of best ball content. We're looking at how dynasty leagues evolve throughout the summer. I can't wait for where we go from here. This past weekend, for me, with all these rookie drafts, probably the best weekend of the fantasy season. We hope listeners are also out there enjoying. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, has been Gretchen Follow. At yards per gretch, make sure you sign up for stealing signals. Make sure you sign up for stealing lines. We'd love to have you over at Rhodoviz. Use the coupon code RV Radio2023 at checkout for a 10% discount on a one year subscription. Subscribe to the feed. We had the show today up on YouTube. If you subscribe to us over there, that helps us with the algorithm. Thanks so much for joining us. We love you guys. Talk to you soon.